Welcome back to Not Your Token Minority, a podcast exploring and celebrating the stories of the global majority. I am super excited to present this week's episode, which was recorded back in April with the delightful Farah. We talk all about her background growing up in post-apartheid South Africa, her experiences as an immigrant to New Zealand, and breaking down the negative stereotypes associated with being a teen mum. Thank you so much for coming all the way into town to join me for a conversation this morning. So you were born in South Africa and then yes. you moved to New Zealand when you were 17, 16, 17? 16, 17, yeah. So I'd love to go back, all the way back to the beginning. So you, you were born in South Africa, but then you also grew up in post-apartheid South Africa. Yep, yep. Can you talk a bit about what you remember from those days and what it was like? It's interesting because people always, they, they do ask me, you know, what, what, what was life like back then? Apartheid was only abolished in 1994. So I would say the country was changing, but not at a very fast rate. So for example, I don't think I've personally myself, I've experienced anything major like racism as I would have actually experienced it in New Zealand, which is, you know, really actually quite Interesting. Yeah. I knew home as home. And I, one aspect definitely clicked when I came over here was that I had never actually, life was just as I knew back home, but I never actually went to school with any other people than myself. So I hadn't gone to school with any white South Africans, African South Africans when I was in high school that was just about to come in. So that was like the change, but it really, it got more apparent when I came overseas what apartheid did was they segregated, basically, they segregated people based on your color, based on your ethnicity. Because of that, it still lasted for many years after. So, for example, I'm of a mixed background. I would have been classified as colored, which I hate that term. Um, and that community kind of still stayed because we were opposed for so many things where we had to live, what we could study. This is going back to when my parents were in their younger life. So, But the thing is, it just carried on. So when apartheid was abolished, the magnitude of the effects was still there. Yeah. So the country, even though there would change that would would have wanted to occur, it's, it's obviously occurring at a very slow rate. So I don't, I can't speak for how things are now, but that's my kind of recollection of how things were. I guess when you're living it, it's just your life, right? Like yeah. you don't know anything I different. Didn't see anything, I didn't see anything different. I mean, I knew the history. We learned about it in school, but that was home. That was like just normal for me. And so the people around you were all colored? Yes. And black? Or? Yes, I would say. Yep. Okay. Yep. It's only if I, you know, if we went into town and, and out and about, but it's not like I would have been immersed. Like I had no, you know, European friends. None. I, my mother and my father, they probably would have had, you know, the odd colleague, but it wasn't the norm for us. And so your family is also Muslim, right? Yes. And a lot of people, they don't know that about South Africa and, you know, our culture. And so I've, as I said to you before when I met you, we classify ourselves as Cape Malay because of my father's side of his family who had come over to Indonesia many, many years ago, and there is a big population of Muslim South Africans, um, Cape Malay, so, so, so to speak. just to clarify, so anyone who is considered Cape Malay, yeah. they have a heritage from Malaysia? 
or Indonesia? Yes, both. So Indone- Indonesia, Malaysia. Yeah. That's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. And yeah. Does your dad identify with that part of himself? Oh, definitely. He's probably the most <laughs> strongest individual that I know that is so proud about his heritage and he's instilled that into us. When it comes to, you know, religion, I am very proud that I am a Muslim woman and with everything surrounding us this day and age and the tragedies that has surrounded us sadly here in New Zealand, it's really kind of made me think of how far we've come and and how far we also need to work toward not being ashamed of who we are i i carry that quite dearly to my heart yeah we kind of touched on this when we first met yeah you kind of mentioned that people have like a certain perspective of view of what a muslim woman looks like but actually being a muslim woman is so diverse yeah. like it's not just wearing the hijab yeah. and praying what is it like five times a day yeah. exactly and i think you know for me like i said growing up in south africa and, and being cape malay like i went to a muslim school up till the age of 13 and we knew that dressing modestly was as part of our faith I think when people put culture and religion together that can kind of cause a lot of misinterpretations of things and and especially in the in the Muslim faith and people when they meet me they were like they would be like oh so why are you not wearing the scarf but for me that wasn't a big part of how life was back home and ultimately you know I'm a practicing muslim I feel like I don't really have to defend myself all the time and especially I think this day and age with everything going on around our faith I sometimes don't want to openly talk about it because I just think I don't know I think people just have a lot of misconceptions about Yeah I think so too and I think that comes from the way the religion has been portrayed in popular yes. media and movies on the news if i can go on a bit of a tangent here how did you feel or what was the experience like for you when the christchurch mm-hmm. shooting happened that was whew, that was that was intense i would say and um you know <laughs> i actually always feared that something like that would happen in new zealand yes yeah as as i said to you earlier on um when we started a lot came out when we moved overseas and i just i always feared that as a as a muslim um and when it did happen it really shattered me and i think the most disappointing part of that was I mean I was I was ext- the the positive of that was I was just so extremely happy of how the country pulled together and the support but then I also saw the other side that it wasn't also like that I mean we saw it on the news and our prime minister which was great but for example no one really you know I've worked with many people for a long time at at you know at work and no one actually checked in on me to say that if i was okay and the week before that when it happened my husband and my daughter was actually in christchurch so it was really really um yeah really shocking i went through a whole heap of emotions i did feel very fearful for the first time i i'd i'd felt very fearful in my so-called home and even today it's effect- affected me where i don't think i would feel really safe going in to a mosque my my dad goes to mosque every friday 
And I fear for him. And, and that's just me being really raw and open about how I feel. And I try and instill in my daughters that, you know, you should be proud of who you are and what we do. And, but then there's also, I feel like a bit of a fraud because I, I feel like, you know, sometimes I'm not that open about it just because of what's happened. So it's, it's very hard to balance this day and age. It's, um, you know, it, it puts me in a place where I kind of reflected on that and I thought, okay, did no one check in on me because they felt awkward? Like they felt, okay, is this, is she feeling that way or they didn't know how to approach it or all these emotions when, you know, I kind of thought to myself, I feel like we've got such a lot of baggage on us. I feel there's one aspect where we're hiding how we feel, but then we're thinking for another person as well. Oh, why didn't you check in on me? Is it because you feel awkward or you just don't care or you just, you know, what is it? And I just don't think it should be like that. And I don't know if I'm wrong in thinking that way. <laughs> But that's the way I, I certainly felt. I felt alone. I really yeah. did. Even though there was messages and, you know, on TV and, and, and this movement of they are, and that expression, they are us, you know. Yeah, how does I, that make you feel <laughs> when everyone keeps saying they are us? They are us. Um, that goes back deep. Mm. <laughs> if I'm going to be really honest, I mean, the sentiment is beautiful, that inclusiveness, but I didn't believe it. Just goes back because I've always felt like an outsider in New Zealand. And there's layers to that, just the racism that we experienced when we came over. So I was already a they back in 2002. Right. <laughs> then it just got deeper. Yeah. <laughs> and then when this tragedy unfolded, it just got, yeah, so much more. It was already embedded me that I was an outsider. And then that just added another layer of, yeah, not, not belonging. Is that what you mean when you said before – it didn't all kind of come out until you left South yeah. Africa and came to New Zealand? God, definitely. Definitely. It's it's so ironic because South Africa's like, oh my gosh, that's weird racism. You know, it's like the hub. <laughs> but um, man, when came over here, it was just so, so confronting. And I think for a teenager where you, you know, you're at the stage of development where you're finding yourself and then to be confronted like that, you know, with racism, that doesn't leave you. It's very much deep, deeply in how I see myself. And I, I mean, I've tried to, to move forward from it and not keep a negative opinion of it. But how can you when things happen? <laughs> and it just brings you back to that. Like my first experience with racism was when I was at school. Now, mind you, coming to a new country where you are so new to just everything, it was a culture shock like no other. I was a pretty good student back home, came to New Zealand, and I think just the pressure of just everything being so new and different took a toll on me. Suddenly, I wasn't scoring the grades that I had done back home. And yeah, it was hard. So going through that and then having... Oh, a girl tell me that I should go back to where I came from, Africa, and you monkeys and making monkey kind of noises. Whew, that does a lot to you. And I'd never experienced anything of that sort That's back home. That's terrible. Um, yeah. That's so insulting. 
I was I was so shocked, and I'll never forget. I was very fortunate to be at a school where I <laughs> there were lots of other South Africans, and we kind of stuck together. It was a good thing and a bad thing because, I, as I said to you before, you know, my parents said to me, "You know, you came to New Zealand. There's so many other people you staying in your." But that was my safety net, and especially when that happened, we kind of felt like we all needed to stick together to feel safe. So that was my very very ugly firsthand experience with with racism. It just goes to show again that Kiwis don't know how to address their own racism. Yeah. And the people who say that racism doesn't exist in this country have obviously never, ever experienced it. Or anyone who says that they don't see racism, it's just so obvious that you don't experience it yourself because it happens basically on a daily basis for so many people. Definitely. So because of your experiences, did you have a fear that your own children would also face the same challenges? Yes, definitely. My eldest, her first experience was actually at daycare where a boy told her, you, I'm not going to play with you because you're brown. That's three three years old. So mind you, me coming. (laughs) So that was my biggest fear that my kids were going to experience racism. And I think I had high hopes that that would never happen. But sadly, it came (laughs) crashing down. And she, sadly for her, that wasn't the only incident. You know, she was born here. I mean, she grew up here. It's not like, you know, where I, you could see me like, okay, she was definitely an immigrant coming over. Heavy accent came over at 16. But my eldest, she was born here, you know, and um, for her, that was the turning point at three years old. And, And I remember just thinking, how do I explain to her, you know, that it's okay being brown? But then she already immediately had that connotation that it was a negative thing. Ew, I'm not going to play with you because you're brown. Do you remember how it affected her? I think it opened her eyes more. Like she knew, even though she was Kiwi, um, she knew then, okay, so I, I'm Kiwi, but I am different. She also had another kid, I, and this was years later, tell her, oh, Leila, were you born here? And she said, yes, I was born here. And she goes, oh, but then why are you brown? You're supposed to be white. That's I mean, crazy that was... <laughs> because because the original people of New Zealand are Maori. Are Maori so... Exactly, and I think I think for her, and I I asked her that day. Obviously, there was a lot of support when the kid got called on and you know got spoken to, and I said to my eldest daughter, you know, how did that make you feel? And she and she actually said it wasn't a surprise to her. It's just hurtful. The, the hurt that comes along with it. I'm saddened that even in this day and age, it still goes on and the hurt that goes on because I really had high hopes and I was, I, I, I pray that with them it would be different, but it, it's not. And that's, that's, that's it. And I get really upset. And I've, I've mentioned this before when something happens to you like that and you seek some form of comfort from, from, and I think this is another reason why women of color, we, we tend to just talk about our experience amongst each other is because we feel like no one else can, can give us that comfort or even just an ear to listen. I've had an experience where I at a point told someone who was not a woman of color from New Zealand and she, she said to me, Oh, Farah, you just interpreting it wrong. 
and the baggage that you come along with that. So now every time when something, you know, unfortunately, and I hope it doesn't, but when it does happen, I'm always thinking, hang on, am I interpreting this wrong? Am I, and I'm, I'm needing to think on the other person's side as well. How was that implied? But sometimes it's smack bang in your face. Like it's a, <laughs> it's an insult. It's a, it's a, it's a racist comment, but then you're still thinking on the other hand, oh, did they mean that? Oh, how's it good? going to come across and I you know I'm, I'm tired of that yeah you know? yeah and I think we all are right to have our experiences basically gaslit yes people not exactly. believing that those are our lived experiences yes and that's unfortunately also why we need the people in power to understand where we're coming from as well understand our experiences otherwise I don't know that anything will really change yes 100% so how did you, as a mother, where did you find the tools to deal with these experiences that your daughter was experiencing at such a young age? Mm-hmm. My parents. <laughs> Again, like I told you, you seek your safety with the people that you feel most comfortable with and who can share. And, you know, I just had to equip myself with a strong belief that I am equal. I honestly had to dig deep. First of all, I was a young single mother. I was a teen mom. So I had a triple, how many? How Double many? whammy. <laughs> I was, I was an immigrant. I was a teen mom. I was a Muslim woman. I was a woman of color. But through all those challenges, like, I mean, all those layers of what I called, you know, at the time, like uh, immense struggle in society. Yeah. I came out a stronger person. I really did. I just had to keep going. I had to keep seeking that kind of strength from my parents who had also gone through a lot and just, yeah, live in hope and pray that one day things will change. And I still feel that way, even though the negative things that I've gone through, I still have hope that hopefully things will change, especially in this day and age for my kids. I think it goes back to what you were saying at the start. Even though apartheid had been abolished, the systemic racism and institutionalized like segregation yep. was still there and had been in place for decades. Yes. And so it's very hard to dismantle straight away. Yes. And I think it's the same with the present day like racism yep. that we experience. I think it's going to take a few generations yep. to get there. Yep. But There is a lot of hope in younger generations, and I think that they are so much more aware of these issues and able to talk about them at a much deeper level than any generation before Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there is that hope. Yeah, definitely. I'm really trying my best these days, you know, not to sort of um, have my past experiences shadow my outlook on how things can be, but it is a challenge but I keep the faith that it hopefully will prevail, good will prevail, and we will be able to just be our authentic selves, you know, and be proud of it. And we don't get that judgment. Mm. So how come your family decided to move? We decided, my mom and my dad decided to move because they wanted a better future for us. And again, also sounds cliche, a better future. <laughs> Like most immigrants, and my daddy actually came over with a rugby team that he coached back in South Africa, and he loved New Zealand, what it stood for, and the diversity. So he felt it was a place that 
we would feel at home or, or integrate relatively easy. But then again, no immigration is easy. No. No, not at all. And especially when you're coming over with a family of kids of all different ages. We weren't like young. We were teens. And my younger sister was about 11. So yeah, ultimately that. You could see how the back home, the country was changing. And we just felt like as a family, you wanted to explore what was out there and yeah, give us a better opportunity. Safety was also a big factor in that. I mean, the crime rate back home is extremely high and, and it's one of also the reasons why we... Yeah, I was going to ask whether the safety aspect, but also would you say that South Africa at that time was quite politically unstable still? Yes, yes, definitely. That was probably also, you know, the biggest factor there. One of the fears that my dad had, what was the future going to be like for us? As a race, as a mixed race, we're always sort of the ones stuck in the middle. Back in the apartheid era, it was the European South Africans on top. Then you've got us, the mixed race, in the middle. And then you have the African people that were at the bottom tier. And so after apartheid was abolished, the country was trying to live in this new South Africa. And as a lot of people, and probably as you read, the levels were reversed, so mm. to say. Sadly, it left us with no place. I always felt like we, we didn't have really a place. And so, yeah, as, as that was occurring, my dad decided that moving was probably a, a better choice for us at the time. So you and your family came to New Zealand when you were 16. 16. And then when you were 17, your entire life changed. So um, I became a young teen mom at 18. That was definitely the pivotal moment, the experience in my life. It changed everything. It wasn't easy. Gosh, it wasn't easy. Like I said, you know, so you're dealing with a teen mom, immigrant, woman of color, <laughs> um, all of those other layers. And it was, was not easy, not easy at all. Um, and just how society portrayed young teen moms, I always had that in my mind, you know, that I'm not going to be the statistic of how they portray teen mums to be. Do you remember how you felt when you found out that you were pregnant? I felt like I was in this weird dream, like it wasn't actually happening to me, and obviously it was. <laughs> oh gosh, it was. And I remember feeling a lot of shame, a lot of um, disappointment, and that I let my family down. A lot, a lot. And I had to go to therapy for a lot of that, you know, and forgive myself because I had put so much on myself for that. And I, I just, it wasn't good. It wasn't good for me, do you think, my mental health. Do you think a part of that is because us as women, throughout our school years, we've been told, like, sex is a bad thing. Yep. Being a teen mum is a bad thing. And so we're always cautioned against mm -hmm. it instead of being given the right tools to deal with it if it does happen mm -hmm. and to approach sex in like a healthy way. Yes, definitely. And I think also in my culture and obviously my faith, sex is totally not, you don't, that's something you keep for marriage. And I think also just culturally, you know, it's, it's like, oh my gosh, you're only supposed to have a family and kids when you, you know, you're doing it the right way, the tick boxes. You find someone, you get married, and then the next step is having children and you're doing it the right way. And I think that was really over my head all the time, the shame of 
not abiding to how it was supposed to be and societal norms of what was the right way. It was my last year, my last year, and I, I, I was lucky enough to finish, but it was still very shameful for me going to school with a tummy. I obviously hid it. I mean, I was a kid having a kid. Psychologically, I was nowhere ready, but I had to somehow equip myself. And I think I, even just leading up to the birth, I had to, gosh, I think I had to just, I just had to do, like, I just, I knew, okay, the next step was to do this. I don't even think I read a lot of baby books. And <laughs> luckily my mom, she she's a nurse and midwife as well. And so I had that support that way. And I don't know what I'd do without my parents because they were my rock. They still are, you know, even though I'm married now and I've got two more kids. Without them, I don't think I could probably have gone through life with a young young baby, young kid. My mum, um, I remember she just broke down and cried and she was devastated. My dad, I mean, he was disappointed, but he made sure that I knew that I was still loved. They still loved me. They still, I'm still their child and they would support me. And I think my dad being a teacher and being a teacher in back in your home in South Africa, in a township and, and, and year in New Zealand and being, he loved being in a really diverse world, <laughs> cultures. Also the experience of him having to deal with students in the past that had had teenage pregnancies. I think it probably equipped him better than my mum. <laughs> I thought that I was carrying the shame, but they never made me feel like I disappointed them. So that was, you know, one of my saving graces because I know that a lot of other people, when they had, these stories are different. We, their families would give them a hard time of, and, and the shame that comes along with it. But my family, they were very different. And I, like I said, don't know what I'd do without them. And my sisters as well, you know, I, they just, um, supported me with everything that I wanted to do. And my dad always made me feel like I could achieve anything. He would always be there, my mom and him. And, and that's really how I just took it on. Um, just with the support of my family and not having those judgments and just, being proud of the fact that I was going to have the baby and I was still going to continue with my studies. In your mind at, back then, was it always that you were going to have yes. the baby? Like 100%. there was no other? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, it's being so young. I remember being at the doctors and, and, and the doctor saying there are options. That was the first thing. There are options. I was so young. They posed the options to me. They laid it out. But I just had this deep sense that I could not go through with it. Probably also because of my faith, abortion, and it's obviously that's the first thing you think of. But that wasn't an option for me. I knew that I couldn't live with myself and I'm not, no judgment. Definitely, I don't want that to come across as that. But for me personally, my journey, that wasn't something that I could, could do. So yeah. I decided to go through with it. And 17 years later, I'm pretty proud of the young lady that I've raised. Yeah, because your daughter is now the same age you were when you got <laughs> pregnant with her. <laughs> and you were saying when we met that it's kind of like a bizarre, like, oh, full circle Full moment. circle, 100%. I got quite emotional and I'm glad I kept it together on Tuesday evening because I attended an evening at her school where they had this university's spokespeople coming to talk to the students 
And I just looked across to her and I thought, wow, you, you my age when I had you. This was what I was supposed to be doing. Even though I did it a year later, I went to university a year later. But it's such a, I can't even put it into words. Like I'm looking at her and I can still see myself being her age and what I, what I had to deal with so much more psychologically. And she even said to me the other day, I can't believe you had, you were pregnant with me at my age. She's like, how did you do it? I couldn't. I don't think I'm a special person. I just, I had to live. And that's just how I saw it. I just had to do. (laughs) Yeah. So during your studies and then raising your child, did you have a lot of support then from your family? Is that what really helped you? Yes. Get through everything? Definitely. It was just my family. It wasn't easy. I mean, I couldn't really have much of a life. I mean, my parents didn't, you know, they actually were the ones who would push me out and go, you need to go out with your friends, have a break. But I felt a lot of shame on that because I felt, oh, you know, what are people going to say? What are people going to think of me? So it was really tough for me to kind of navigate through that time period. My parents were, like I said, and my family were the only people. I mean, I had a couple of good friends, but I never had a support network of young mums. And I think I was probably too ashamed to even join a group, which I, I look back and I think, why didn't I? I wonder if I, if I did, would it have changed a lot of things in me? But then again, I've, I've made peace with myself that I, I can't blame myself for a lot of things. No. You know, you got to move on and, and forgive yourself. Do you think it would have helped having Layla's dad around? Um, yes, I think it would. But the beauty of that was even though he went back to South Africa, his family still stayed in New Zealand. And I love them so much. And I know it sounds, people probably, when I tell them the story, they probably go, oh my gosh, how can you, you know, but I learned to separate what had happened between, because we obviously were not a, a couple anymore. We weren't together anymore, but that didn't change the fact that his family loved my daughter and, and wanted to support me. And to this day, we are, we are family. We actually genuinely a family. I would say she's like my second mother-in-law. It sounds weird, but I've got so much love for them. When people aren't together anymore, I think they lose focus of sometimes what's best for the child. And I remember thinking she was going to be a child at that time. You know, I thought, oh, I'm going to be single forever. Nobody's going to want me. Um, I'm used goods, <laughs> whatever, all those other negative, horrible things. I thought to myself, so if it's just going to be me and her, then the best thing I can do is surround her with so much love from family, both my own and her father's side. And I'm glad that my parents, because it wasn't easy initially, I didn't want that, but my parents made me understand that it was all for her, for the best interest of her and upbringing. And today I look at her and she, I'm glad I, I made the decisions I had at the time because she's such a well-adjusted kid because of that, which makes me very, very proud. She's like my golden child in that way. Um, you know, I always say to her, you know, you're not supposed to be where you are because of the stigma of a young single mom raising a kid. She's a fantastic athlete. She's traveled the world. Um, She's a national gymnast. She is New Zealand's at the time in 2019, she attended the Junior World Championships for Rhythmic Gymnastics. And before she injured herself, she was New Zealand's junior champion. 
so incredibly proud of her and just how well she's also, you know, navigated through life with a young, with a single mum. So, yeah. You did mention earlier about how you really felt like you had to fight against the stereotype of what a teen mum is like. Yes. Can you talk a bit about that and the tools you used or how you navigated that? <laughs> I... I feel like I, a lot of the time I was always judged and I always felt like I had to prove myself. When I went to uni, Layla was one. She was one years old. And I made a real effort to not hide that I was a young teen, teen mom because I remember sitting before starting uni thinking, should I hide it? Should I not? And I think finding the courage in me to be my true authentic self was going to be the tool to help me become stronger and that's what I had to do. I never shied away from it. And I mean, for the most part, people were very, they didn't sort of make me feel like it. I think some of that made me feel bad about it. I think it was my own probably insecurities. For me, the tools were just being very confident in myself and trying to be and, and strong. And I think when I say strong, I would always link that up with with my child, because that kind of, you know, your mother's instinct, protecting your child. I thought, you know, if that, I could be so strong about that, but then I had to carry on over myself as well and be strong of the type that that's me. That was my new identity. I did counseling. I think after having her, that was a, uh, it was a must. Psychologically, going from a kid to a mom overnight, that really caught up, I think, after a year. So caught up with me and that's something that I really probably also took a lot from because I did feel like I lost my identity. Do you feel like you lost a lot of your youth? Yes. Oh God, yes. Those years, 18 to about 22, I, and I say 22 because that's the time I finished uni, was definitely a time and at the time I didn't you know I was I was I used to think oh it's okay obviously I was consumed by looking after her but now that she's of this age 17 I think wow I really did did lose out a lot of that youth and I'm not angry like I said I've forgiven myself but I do think of what would I have been doing could I have chosen a different, would things change? Would I have been in a different career? Would I have done all the things that my friends at the time had done, OEs? And, but I've made peace with that, that it's, this is my journey. That was what happened to me. And I don't look back like I'm longing for it, but I do think, like I said, especially now that she's 17, I think, okay, well, you know, <laughs> what would I have been doing? But um, I've made peace with that. Yeah, because you can't, live all the possibilities of your life right like yeah. your life could go so many different ways but exactly. you can only go a particular path yeah so there's there's always going to be a lot of what ifs right but yeah you have made the best yeah of the life that you've been given so what did you study at uni i studied occupational therapy okay which is yep. what you do now yep yeah I often think, and I think I've, I've touched on this before, <laughs> um, you know, I, I chose something when a career when I don't think I really knew myself. After I had my daughter, I felt like this, um, this race was on, right? Next, you know, you're going to prove that you're not a statistic. You're going to be educated because 
what's always linked with teen moms is uneducated, going to be on the doll forever, going to be single forever, going to be, you know, struggling forever. You're going to have more kids, all these things. And I, I felt it was so overwhelming. So I had this list. Okay. Choosing a career, but not really choosing, you know, I didn't know myself. I, I, I think after 10 years being in a career, I feel like people change. And I don't know if this is just part of the whole teen mum kind of journey mm. because you didn't know yourself all that well in the beginning that you're changing and, and, and maybe that youth, what you're doing in those years that I lost out is maybe catching up with me. And now I'm finding myself a different, a different part of myself. Maybe I'll go back to studying and finding what truly makes me happy not that it doesn't make me fully happy now but I think I am changing yeah yeah and honestly you you still have so much time to figure that out (laughs) (laughs) my daughter said to me at the evening the information um evening at the uni you're not going to come to uni with me (laughs) can you imagine that that would be so funny funny for you maybe not so much for your daughter (laughs) um (laughs) so I'm kind of curious, Mm -hmm. what has your social and your dating life been Mm. like before, obviously, you got married? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Back in uni, because my daughter was so young, and like I said, I held myself back quite a bit, I didn't date actually at all. And I just thought it was just too much for me. Of course, there was, you know, people that were interested. And obviously, I mean, you're at uni, you see people, you meet people. But I think I put a lot of pressure and limitations on myself. Friends-wise, I mean, I, I, I think the, the part that I was so young, it was easy to kind of make friends. I definitely couldn't be in the scene of partying because <laughs> I had responsibility. But I did make some good good friends. And we're still friends today. We're the best of friends. I think once I got a job... It's still pretty much followed again in terms of the dating, very limited. And I think when people found out, it was all good. I definitely, definitely felt this, that when they meet you, it was all good until they find out you have a kid. And then that changes the dynamics. So you really felt like it affected oh, definitely. how they saw you? Definitely. Because what 22-year-old or 23-year-old, I felt, I certainly, and I've had experience, would want to date someone with a six-year-old, a five or six-year-old. So that, and it made me feel shameful. It did, you know. And I remember one guy I I, I dated told me, it just wouldn't work. What does that mean? Exactly. Nothing was ever explained further. (laughs) It just, but I knew, it's a weird thing. I knew, I don't know, my sixth sense, it just, I knew. That it was that. And I think it put a whole spin on Even when I met my husband, <laughs> my now husband, I remember him being really shocked. But yet still wanting to get to know me. And and I think that's the thing, you know. Again, it's how teen moms are portrayed. That it's going to be, life is going to be hard. And, and if you're going to date a woman with a, with a kid. And it's just, but my husband really took that leap of faith that he, you, you liked me and you wanted to know me and you wanted to see what, you know, my life was about. I think teen moms or, or young single women with kids, a chance. What was it like introducing Layla to your now husband <laughs> at the time? Yes. Um, first of all, I think my daughter probably thought I was a lesbian for, <laughs> <laughs> for a long time. She actually asked me, why do you, why do I? Why do you not have a boyfriend? Uh-huh. And, and again, I put a lot of pressure on myself to 
And this is also another stigma that, you know, teen moms, young moms will have boyfriends coming in and out. Mm. It's like a revolving door. That's right. a, that's, and so I was always cautious about that. And I never, and I, partly because there was no one to introduce. <laughs> but I, I always had that rule. I was going to introduce her to someone that I knew who was going to love me and who was going to accept me whole with her. Because we are packaged here. We are combo. Yeah. <laughs> So if it wasn't that, you wasn't going to get introduced. How she took it, um, she was happy. And I think, you know, the only man she had in her, in her family, because it's just my parents and my sisters, the only man, men that she had was my, um, my sister's husband and my, my dad, who was like a father figure to her. And obviously her father's, um, her biological father's father. So she never had a lot of males. So when she met my husband, it was like a new thing. And she, I think she felt like she could fit in with all her peers who had fathers or, or some form of a father figure. So that was really cool for and, 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 and a happy period in our lives. And I, and from an early age, you know, I had to explain to her that she does have a father, even though he's not in her life, but that still didn't make it okay. Like she still felt like visibly someone needed to be there. But like I said, you know, my dad was always there, but when um, my husband came in, it just, yeah, changed the dynamics in a, in a better way for her. And my husband came into her life when she was eight years old. So up until, you know, eight, she's, um, she never had. And if, well, my dad was a father figure, but she never had that male, like, alongside me. And I think seeing me with someone was quite a shock for her. Mm. <laughs> but I'm, in hindsight, I'm glad I did that. Like, I mean, it's not a bad thing if women do that. Because you still have to continue your life. And if you have X amount of boyfriends, it's, and I can't, you, I don't want to sound like I'm placing judgment. But for me, like, that was just my rule that I wasn't going to have too many men coming in and introducing her just because there was the shame and guilt on myself that I placed, but also it was going to be the right one when yeah. she was going to meet them. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember what it was like for Layla growing up, going through school? Did any of her classmates make comments about her family situation? Mm-hmm. Or Because I also feel like there's a bit of stigma around that amongst kids like oh you don't have a dad kind of thing yeah um i don't think she didn't have that but but an incident occurred when she was overseas and uh, she needed her birth certificate and i didn't i unfortunately couldn't go along with her when she traveled overseas and there was another mum with the group and obviously her coaches and they saw that the names were different. Like Layla still got my maiden surname and obviously I've taken on my husband's surname. And one of the girls in her team said, Oh, you don't have the same surname as your father. And she didn't want anyone to find out that my husband wasn't her biological father because none of the kids at the time knew because he was always there. They never knew the background. I think it was the fact that they found out in that way and, and that made Layla very much aware that she, I think that was the first time she really felt like she wasn't like a, you know, normal <laughs> kid. She said she just didn't want to feel different because I think mm. at the time everybody were like, you know, all eyes were like, okay, right. it's a different surname. Why? How? I think she, she feels happy that we are family now, but I, I look back and I think she, it probably did affect her, even though she probably doesn't talk about it much, but she's older now. And I think she 
she's really proud of of our journey but um she never really had anything negative i would say back that's in good. primary school that's good no. yeah i'm quite interested in how your journey went then because i feel like our 20s you're still trying to figure out who you are mm-hmm. and then you're also trying to like raise your child yes. to be like the best that she can be yeah did you feel a lot of struggle in that respect, trying to find your own path, but also trying to raise another human being? Definitely, yep. I almost felt like I had to cut myself and my my needs and wants off because I had to focus on being a mother. But you can't do that if you don't know, you know, and trying to navigate and trying to tell your kid to reach for the stars and do this when you don't really know your full self. But I've had to grow up alongside her, which was hard. I mean, every, I think every parent looks back and think, thinks, could I have done things better? I was so young. I, I did the best that I could with what I had. But yeah, I think I'm still on the journey to finding myself. I, like I said, you know, I missed a huge part of my twenties, you know, 19 to 22. And I think it's still aspects of it. It's almost as if I'm at this age where I've got these two, you know, my younger kids and I'm married. And, and I think like I fall into this category of the, you're married, you've got the kids like so easily. And I always knew, I mean, it's not rocket science to know I had it so young. I always knew with um, my daughter, my eldest daughter, Layla, it wasn't going to be easy. The journey was not going to line up with, <laughs> with a lot of things in your life. Now I'm 35, she's 17 and going off to university next year. I almost feel like at 35, I'm not ready. I don't think any parent would be ready, but at 35, dealing with those type of emotions of having a young, by next year, she'll be a young adult, you know, yeah. 18 year old. Yeah. So I think I'm always trying, I'm, I'm grow, I'm still growing with her. And it was, ne- I always knew it was never going to be easy. And I think when you become a mum, you will always, like that will always be your child or children. Yeah. yeah. Like you never stop being their parent. No, no. I definitely think parenting with my youngest two is going to, and I, I can see it already. It's very different to what it was with mm. <laughs> with my elders. And like I said, you know, I was so young. I had to learn along the way, but I, I wouldn't take it back. Not one, mm. not one, one bit. Yeah. 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 And I just hope other teen mums can, can, can do that as well. Having a kid so young, the things that you've had to go through, you know, it stays with you. It shapes you. It molds you. But I don't want people to think that that defines you. Of course. In the same way that motherhood shouldn't define any woman, really. (laughs) Because, you know, the whole (laughs) thing where women kind of lose their identities when they have children, no matter how old they are. Because you have to give up so much of your life to raise your children. Definitely. I almost feel like I, and it's, I don't know if this sounds strange, but I almost feel like yeah, I did lose my identity with Layla, but I almost feel like now, even though I've got all the tick boxes, you know, married, got the career, got this, I almost feel like it was more so that I lost myself with, mm. you know, my youngest too. And I don't know if those are the pressures of just life and just being a mum. Yeah, can definitely change your perspective yeah. <laughs> on, on, on things. Do you do anything for yourself these days to try and like, Give yourself some time away from being a mum. I try. 
<laughs> I know it's it must really, be so hard though. It's really hard, but I I I do I do make a, a more of an effort these days. I'm trying to get back on on doing more for myself, exercising, more self care. Only just recently, you know, trying to take some time out for myself if that means seeing a friend, going out. But I do think like that balance is so important. Yeah, like I obviously don't have children, but I can imagine how difficult it is to remind yourself constantly to think of yourself and yes. to put that or to find that balance in your life. Yeah. Also, your kids want someone to look up to as well. Like exactly. They, they want to see that their mum is their own person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm trying to work on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get better on that. I'm sure you're doing great. <laughs> in general, do you feel hopeful about your daughter's futures because I feel like a lot of women who have or a lot of parents who have daughters Mm. there's just I don't know the world is not made for women yeah do you have or how do you feel about the future that your children are going to have I feel you know I'm 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 gonna say I I'm I'm gonna feel hopeful I think that's just as a parent, you know, you want the best for your kids. So it stems from there. I would love to think that things are going to change for women, equality, race-wise equality. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that with the right attitudes of society, hopefully things can change. And I know it keeps sounding so cliche, like, you know, <laughs> but I, I, that's how I genuinely feel. And then the flip side of that, you think, you know, on the days when, when things happen that we see on the news, you think, God, is it even, <laughs> is, it, is it actually ever going to change? Yeah. But what else can we hold on to? And you can only do what you can and equip your kids the best way you can, starting in your own home. Stay hopeful and keep the faith and try and raise my kids the best way possible, keeping an open mind, keeping an open heart to um, in society, not falling prey into things out there that isn't going to help us as a nation, as the world moving forward. And I don't want them to also get caught up in some of my challenges and scars that I'd face. Yeah, that's a challenging thing as well, right? Exactly. With being a parent, not passing your own traumas onto your children. Yeah, yeah. And I've asked my daughter about that, you know, my eldest daughter. I asked that to you, <laughs> prepping before I came to you. <laughs> I asked her, oh, God, do you, do you think a lot of my um, insecurities? And and she actually answered me honestly, which was, you know, it was great. Like she, she said, look, mom, obviously you had me so young. So I think, yes, the answer is yes. But she says, but not in a bad way because I know it's there, but you are trying your best to keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you're not trying to raise me based on your hurt or your disappointments in in, in society. But she says it's made her aware that it's out there. So that's a good thing, Uh, which makes me happy when she said that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like, okay, it just reassures me, okay, I'm doing something right. So, Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming over and sharing with me your story and being so open about it. And I hope that people have learned something from our discussion or can feel like they're not alone either. Definitely. I hope so too. Thank you so much. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to this episode. I always appreciate feedback, so don't hesitate to get in touch via social media or email me at hello at notyourtokenminority.com. And similarly, if you want to share your story, then please don't hesitate to get in touch. I would love to hear all about your journey. 